I think the the fear um, in going through that experience, and maybe some of your listeners, if they've ever gone through losing someone with a tragic death, your sense of safety in the world really changes. Because then all of a sudden you say, wow, well, she could be hit by a car. I can too, right? Hi, everybody. I'm Katina McHenry. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, which I, I'm always excited about every episode. And I say that every single episode that I'm excited just because I enjoy this and I enjoy talking to people about the ways that they're struggling with fear. And I love to have honest and authentic conversations um, with everyday people and, and those who are experts as well. So today's guest reached out to me, which I'm so thrilled about April Hannah. She is the founder of Hannah's Healing Wellness Studio, and she's the co-founder of a media production company in upstate New York that has been providing over two decades of clinical mental health counseling in combination with a variety of healing modalities and consciousness studies to her clients around the world. She's a co-founder of a media production company, Path 11 Productions, and she went on to produce three documentaries on life after death and consciousness studies. So thank you so much for being here today, April. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, today we are talking about fear of death and April is going to talk to us about something very personal that has brought her to this topic in this area of her study and expertise. And uh, so I first like to start each each episode with one question, April, which is what are you afraid of? Well, I would say that I have been working so hard since my early 20s on fear because I really struggled with anxiety coming from um, a mom that really struggled with addiction and alcoholism. And so I was introduced to PTSD and anxiety at a very early age. So I would say I was like afraid of everything, (laughs) not even really realizing it and really have been trying to unravel it. And um, I would say My biggest fear up until more recently, since 2008, was really when I began to conquer this fear, was really stepping into my power and Mm -hmm. really knowing what my purpose was, knowing what I needed to do, but really afraid to become this entrepreneur that was going to follow the dream and, you know, not get paid by the man nine to five, but that I was going to do this work that I wanted to do. So I would say that that was really a rooted fear that I had early on in my twenties that I was able to break and uh, to, to break through. And really what elicited that was when I met my other business partner, Mike Habernig, uh, at Path 11 Productions, and we decided to create this production company. And he actually reached out to me because he had a lot of deaths that were happening in his life in that prior year. And he started researching different uh, methods, different types of healing, out-of-body experiences, because it really wasn't what he was experiencing wasn't really being supported by his faith and his religion, Mm. which was uh, the Catholic religion. I was Mm -hmm. also brought up in the Catholic religion. Mm -hmm. So I had conquered, yeah, I had conquered Mm -hmm. my fear of going into my own private practice in 2008 and finally stepped into that power. And I put out my website and the first week my website went live Mike is contacting me and asking if I wanted to be in a documentary about Reiki because I was a Reiki healer and I do a lot of different uh, energy healings with people. So, so I was like, Oh, okay. I can't believe it. You know, I was like, the universe is responding. I, I stepped into my power. I'm doing this. And all of a sudden somebody wants me in a documentary, like, Holy cow really works. Right. (laughs) Um, And I was studying a lot of Wayne Dyer's work. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Wayne Dyer. I'm not. Yeah. He's um, just kind of like a great life coach. He's passed on, but um, it was kind of his teaching of no more excuses that really launched me into looking at my fear. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mike gets a hold of me and we sit and we talk and I was only maybe a student of the energy work for about seven years or so. So I didn't really feel like an expert that, you know, again, this was probably a little bit of fear, right. Of uh, feeling like I could be in a documentary, but I was like, I have all of these teachers that have like 20 and 30 years of experience. So I'm really good at organizing things. Let me get a hold of them and let's go and film them. And then my production company began and Mike really wanted to investigate death. So I would say naturally, maybe like most people, I didn't really know what would happen when we die. You know, I just really fell into my faith of, you know, the Catholic religion and that I'm going to go to heaven I'm going to meet God and I'm going to meet all the spirits of my family that are there and we're going to hang out there, right? And uh, sit and hang out there. But I remember when I was a young girl and um, 
my dad lived in Arizona. So each year I would get on a plane with my mom and then, you know, go and visit my dad. But I was like 13 at the time and they would let you fly without an adult, but like the yep. stewardess would like give you these passes. Right. Yes. So I, re- <laughs> I remember, you know, like I was on a plane and was going up high and I was thinking, where's God, you know, because mm. I just remember being young and looking up and it thought he was past the clouds. And the first time I was ever like in an airplane and like, had the experience of being so high where I thought God was and God didn't show up. Yeah. I was like, what? this doesn't make sense, you know? So I would say naturally I've always had probably a fear of death up until 2008, but fell into my belief system of, well, I think I'll be okay. Cause there's a God there and this is where I go. You know, they tell me there's a place called heaven, yeah. but what was crazy was once I started interviewing all of these people for our documentaries and really speaking to people with different theories and out-of-body experts that have astral projected out of their body and uh, nuclear physicists that looks at consciousness in a very scientific way, all of my belief systems were shattered. I was like, okay, now what do I do? What do I believe in now? Because I wasn't really believing what I was taught. So I would say that my fear of death um, you know, in working on this project and creating these documentaries about consciousness and really beginning to investigate and explore the afterlife and what happens, um, my fear of death has greatly reduced. I mean, I still don't know if everything that I'm researching and what we find is exactly what it's going to be yeah. when I transition. But I do, I, I feel like I can say that I have um, less fear and have a belief system where I really do know that we are energy and that we're more than our physical body. And I don't even think death is the right word, but um, maybe it's more of the fear of transition out of the physical body into where, you know, Mm. where do we go from here? So I would say I've struggled a little bit with the fear of death and fear of stepping into my power and really following that gut instinct of why I feel like I'm here on this earth. So those are the fears that I've been working on. Yeah, and those are, I mean, all those are really, really deep. So when you talked about in the beginning, just being afraid of a lot of things, as you sort of peel those apart, what were the roots? What was the root of those fears? Was it one or was it a multiple list of things that led to um, how you felt about just fear? Yeah, well, I would say at the core, my fear was safety because Uh, the lack of safety. Yeah. A lack of safety, you know, um, you know, my, yeah, lack of safety, not feeling safe. And part of that was, you know, living with an alcoholic parent, Mm. you know, my mom and my dad separated when I was really young. And so my mom really struggled with her addiction, had periods of sobriety, but, you know, I was really young and I remember, you know, getting off the bus and coming home, being a latchkey kid and letting myself in the door. And sometimes my mom wouldn't come home for a couple of days, you know, and had to get myself ready. When when will she be home? Oh my gosh, did she die? Um, Am I safe? Is anyone going to break in? And then, you know, she had a multitude of relationships with different men. So I learned how to read energy at a very young age because it's like, okay, is this man safe? Who is this person that's coming to live with us now? You know, how old were you you at that point? Oh, well, um, it's, really my earliest memory is kindergarten. Really? So, so four or five six. or five, six. Yeah. 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 My goodness. So it was just kind of, you know, this, this constant state of fear. And then there would be, you know, periods of where it would be calm and she would be sober and she'd be getting help and there wouldn't be any boyfriends that were around. And then it would be another relapse, you know, and yeah. her going into rehab or me having to go and live with families. Um, so, you know, some of those fears you know, could turn into, um, I remember in my twenties when I went into therapy for myself and trying to heal some of the trauma, I would have this whole routine of how to seal my house in white light so that nobody would break in because when I was younger, there would, you know, we lived in a rough neighborhood, you know, we were more of the lower socioeconomic, you know, status. And, um, so it was kind of like, okay, am I safe? Is somebody going to break in? Or if, you know, I had spent many nights sleeping alone, right. And my mom not coming home. And, yeah. you know, you just have that internal fear as a child, like, am I safe? So like that, so I had this routine, the spiritual routine that I didn't even know was spiritual, but I would pray to my angels and I would ask for white light to surround all the windows, all the doors, 
Um, and I would go through this prayer. And the first person I told was my therapist who was trained in eye movement therapy. Huh. And she was like, Oh my God, April, you do that every night. I said, yeah, I've been doing it every night, every night since I've been young. She's like, that's exhausting. Would you love to not do that every night? Yeah. I was like, yes. So that's where I learned um, eye movement therapy. And uh, just to tell your listeners too, you know, with, with such great teachers in my family, I did decide to go into psychology and study to become a mental health therapist. So I'm, I've been a licensed mental health therapist for almost 20 years. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, more of my background that I really wanted to heal myself and had a lot of really good life experience that felt like I could bring that into the world and help others. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I've done on my own journey to heal my own trauma that I went on to learn these techniques that I went through to be able to help my clients heal. So I would say the fear kind of rounding back to your question was that my fear probably started with safety. And then there were just so many incidences, you know, through childhood, through the teenage years, um, you know, and just dealing with my mom's battle with addiction that really caused a lot of those fears and those anxieties to develop and then took those into adulthood and then once I had the skill set to really dig in and heal, then I was able to kind of unravel that and then continue that on my journey. Yeah. So in 2019, it was it was because of the uh, death of your mom, tragically, that launched you really into more work about um, death and 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 around fears of death. So talk a little bit about that. Um, just in the sense of being afraid of death, what do you think was the most poignant aspect of that thought or idea that scared you the most and how that I connected think, to your mom's death? Yeah. I think what scares, what scares me the most or the, the most disappointing thing about the transition is that you just don't have them in the physical body anymore. Yeah. You know, I've had enough experiences now with all the research that I've done, you know, through PATH 11 productions of really having a very solid feeling and sense of peace that the energy does continue and that we can still communicate with our loved ones who have passed. Yeah. But I think what hurts the most is that they're not embodied. So you can never feel the physical touch again. You can never hear the voice again. You know, I think the voice and the yeah. physical touch are, um, you know, some of the most primary things. So, so I'm going to back up a little bit before 2019, because this journey of studying the afterlife, like I said, had reduced my fear of, of dying, but it taught me a lot about soul contracts. And um, have you ever heard of soul contracts? No, before? what is, what is that? Okay. So this is one of the things that I think has helped me the most in life. <laughs> when I interviewed this person for one of my documentaries, she was like, she talked about soul groups and soul contracts. And I'm like, okay, what is this? I've never heard of this before. And so basically the belief is, is, and you guess, I guess you have to buy into reincarnation to believe that there's yeah. reincarnation. So the belief is, is that we reincarnate each experience with the same soul group. And I forget what they say, how many people are in our soul group. I think it could be up to like 200 people, but then you might meet other souls, but you basically have the same soul group that you constantly reincarnate with. And before you come into this lifetime, you and your soul group sits around a table, not really, but metaphorically, right? And you all discuss, okay, well, what would I like to learn in this lifetime? And you basically state your soul contract of what you are going to try to evolve and grow and learn when you come into body. And then your soul group says, okay, well, I'll volunteer for this and I'll volunteer for this. And when I first heard this story, um, the woman who told me was one of my Reiki masters. And she said, say you are, you decide you're a soul that wants to learn about forgiveness in this lifetime. And that your mom might raise her hand and say, I love you so much that I want you to grow and learn forgiveness that I will have to take on darkness in this lifetime, but I will give you something to forgive. So it was like, wow, you know, when I heard that so much healing just within my, my relationship with my mom um, yeah. came about when I heard that story, because it was like, wow, to think that my mom like chose such a tough life. So my soul could evolve and that huh. I can learn what I wanted to learn here. Um, it kind of brought me to tears, still chokes me up a little bit, you know, and yeah. it made me look at all of my difficult relationships with people in a way as more of a lesson. 
huh. in like when this person comes to me, it's kind of like, okay, what's the assignment? What's the lesson? They volunteer to be a part of my life to help me grow. So let me take this opportunity to grow, you know? Yeah. So so, you know, through some of the interviews and we were talking about, you know, soul contracts, I also started working with a conference called the Afterlife Awareness Conference. So I was working with a lot of shamans, um, sitting in and uh, doing videography, basically with our production company and filming these workshops. So I was immersed in people talking about death all the time and learned about different rituals and different ways that you can communicate um, with the diet, with the dead, um, watching mediums go to work and have these fascinating conversations with dead people and giving messages. And um, so my intuition started to grow after, you know, really learning all of this stuff about death. And I knew in 2019 that my mom was going to pass. I didn't know how the suspected way was going to be she going to die of an overdose or maybe her, her, she was in a very violent relationship and was her boyfriend going to, you know, beat her so bad that she died or was it going to be from alcohol? You know, I just didn't know. So you just Um, had like this deep feeling. Yes. Yeah. Deep feeling. And I, I mentioned it on my own podcast with a couple of other healers because they picked, they were like either giving me a free reading or showing me or showcasing their talent. And one woman sang for me, uh, she can sing your soul back in, you know? So she was this healer and um, she said, you're really worried about a woman in your life. I'm really picking up on this woman's energy in your life. Do you know who that is? I'm like, yeah, it's my mom. And I, I disclosed on my podcast I said, I really have a sense that I know she's not going to be here very long. Hmm. And she said, I feel like she needs protection. And that was in July when I interviewed this woman. And I had some um, premonition dreams of a police officer coming to my house and notifying me of my mom's death a couple of months before she died. And then the doorbell rang on October 19th of 2019. And there was a police officer there at five o'clock in the morning. And I opened the door and he said, are you April Hannah? And I said, I am. I said, is this about my mom? And he looked at me and he was like, yes, she was in an accident. And I said, she's dead, isn't she? And he said, yes. How did you know that? And I was like, oh, got a while. Come on in. You know, I just, <laughs> did that scare you, know. you though? When you saw him at the door, did it scare you since you had already like seen it? It didn't really scare me. I had a knowing, but I think the harder thing was that, you know, my mom was killed uh, crossing the street. She was hit by a car. So it was just a really crazy way to go. And if you ever asked me in a million years, how do you think your mom would die? That would never be the last thing, of course, the last thing, you know? So it was a really surreal moment of like, okay, the time has come, you know, any of your listeners, if they have ever lived with or love someone that has been addicted to anything, um, probably knows that feeling of that fight or flight or hypervigilance. When am I going to get the call? Is it just yep. a matter of time, especially yep. when you see them starting to decline? Yeah. So it was just a very surreal moment. Um, but I would say, you know, what's interesting is since 2008, I've been studying all this death stuff and conquering my fears. And then all of a sudden, you know, it really hits close to home. And now my mom is dead. Yeah. And so it really made me look at everything that I've been learning and like all over again, well, do I even believe this? Why can't I communicate with my mom? What's blocking me? Is my mom? Okay. Is her soul lost? Has she made the transition? And it just opened up all these questions again, Yeah. you know? So I think the fear, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I just, I think the, the fear um, in going through that experience and maybe some of your listeners, if they've ever gone through losing someone with a tragic death, your sense of safety in the world really changes. Cause then all of a sudden you say, wow, well, she can be hit by a car. I can too. Right. When I'm walking my dog and, and like this weird fear of being hit by a car is something that I've had to work with in this past year and a half, like I going out and walking on the road and seeing cars driving by me at 55, 65 miles an hour of the speed that she was hit. Like, that's all you can think about. Even though I wasn't hit, I didn't witness the accident, but the brain just has the ability to like recreate these stories, you right. know? Right. So, so since 2019, that's the, fear, that's another yeah. small little fear that, you know, I'm working on. But yeah. so I wonder since you had such deep intuition about her 
dying, not in the way that she died, but in her, in, and knowing and feeling like she was going to die at some point, did that remove the fear that you, or did it prepare you mentally and emotionally for um, not being as afraid of, of that incident of it happening to her? Or do you think that you, because you saw it and you felt it, that you compartmentalize and, and you prepared yourself for how you would deal with it and being less afraid of that, that, uh, that incident um, uh, ha- happening in, you know, in the future, the short future that, that, it, that it actually happened. Yeah. I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. when you have such a strong knowing um, the, sh- the shock was there, but in a different way, you know, it was sure. kind of like, okay, all right, now we can deal with this. You know, now the time has come. So gotcha. I would say, I, I would say it was a combination of both really, you yeah. know, it's similar. Like I know you're a mom, right? Yes. So, you know, that, that motherly instinct that, and I was very much my mom's mom, <laughs> you know, yeah. even though she was my yeah. mom, I really yeah. mothered her. So, you know, like you can relate to the mother's instinct of you just know when your child is off, yep. you know, or you just get a feeling that something is about to happen or something is wrong. And there's no like doubt in it. It's just, it's just a knowing, you know, it's hard to put into words, but it's just that knowing. And I kind of was carrying that with me for like almost that full year. And I, I guess when you're just so connected to someone, it's your, your body, the energy, um, your soul probably knows. And if there is truth to the soul contract thing, maybe there was something that my soul could, what had access to and could remember, but wasn't given all the details because then I wouldn't have really have grown out of it. Right. It's like, okay, I know my mom's going to die on October 19th. She's going to get hit by a car. If I had all that information, how does my soul grow? Doesn't. Right. Right. I mean, that's why we're here. We have to go through these really difficult times to be able to evolve and, um, and change. So, Mm -hmm. um, cause I had a similar experience where my, my bonus mom, she died on my birthday five years ago, but the day before I knew that she was going to die. I knew it. Mm -hmm. I felt it in my soul and I knew, and I kept saying, and I, I haven't, I've only spoken this to two other people, two of my dear friends. I was so afraid that if I spoke it and like, if I, if I verbalized my feeling that that would be the cause of her death. Like I know now that it was going to happen. It was inevitable that it was going to happen on that day, but I did not want it to happen on that day because it was my birthday. And I just kept, I remember I was praying. I was like, God, please don't let it happen today. Please. I mean, please don't let it happen tomorrow. Please don't let it happen on that day. I don't think I can handle it. I don't think I can handle it because I had another tragic incident happen on my birthday when I was born. And I just... I couldn't, I didn't think that I had the strength to deal with the, the pain again, but I knew, I knew it was going to happen. I knew in my soul and all that entire day before I was like on the verge of tears and, but I couldn't show my emotion. I couldn't let people know how, what I was feeling and how I was feeling, but I knew, so I can totally relate to what you're saying. Just like, you can't even really explain it. It's just something deep in your soul. And it's something you have so much confidence about that. No one can tell you that that's not how you feel because you know it, you know it in your soul. That is just the wildest thing. Yeah. Well, and you know, you, you bring up a good point too, like of your birthday, right? Because with death and, and dates and remembrances, like it does, it like impacts us, right? Because yeah. like your birthday was your birthday up until, you know, it's like, and now this is like another thing that is added right, on just like to it. Yeah. Yeah. Did I never in a million years ever thought about October 19th in my life? Like yeah. wasn't a special date for me. And then all of a sudden it becomes you know, a date that now has meaning attached to it. Whereas before every October 19th of, you know, 44 years of my life came and went and, you know, didn't mean a thing. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, 
there's that memory or yeah. that, that situation. Mm-hmm. Single socks are so annoying, aren't they? Especially when you're sure you put two socks together in the wash, only to find one of them has pieced out somewhere in between the washing and drying cycle. But your problems are now solved with Soulmate Socks. They are magnetic socks that stay together in the laundry so you're never left with lost and single socks. Knitted from bamboo, they are the softest socks you'll have in your drawer. They're antifungal, antimicrobial, and they're breathable. So when you need your socks to stay together, grab a pair of Soulmate Socks, where every sock has a soulmate. Shop online today at soulmatesocks.com. That's S-O-L-E-M-A-T-E-S-O-X.com. I want to talk a little bit more about the soul contract, because I, I mean, mm-hmm. that feels like it's a huge part of, of the topic today and just being uh, fear of death. But so I just want to get a deeper understanding of what exactly that means. So it sounds like what you said was before we're born before we come to this earth and before we come into our designated bodies, that there are souls that we are interacting with and we basically stay with the same souls. We're sort of in this circle. And depending on what we want to learn and what those other souls want us to learn, they basically not just volunteer, but they agree to sacrifice something so that we can either experience a certain thing or learn a certain thing. Is that right? You got it, you got oh. it girl. Yeah. So yeah. how does, so how, so then, then if that is true, then how does the fear of death even come into our being? Because if, if, if that is something that we believe, or if that's something that you believe, then it seems like the fear of death shouldn't even be a part of our psyche because these souls are always existing and their energy or their energy is always existing, which could mean they're always alive and they're always with us and they're always helping us. Exactly. And I would say that when I heard that, you know, through my investigation of the afterlife, um, it softened, it softened me in so many different areas. Um, and I think just because I've been a survivor my whole life, you know, I would just kind of be like more tough and, you know, really, really, um, connected to my anger or like, can put up, you know, boundaries to like, keep myself safe and stuff like that. And then it just helped me to look at people and situations in my life so much differently. And I felt like I could just relax a little bit more. I didn't have to be on guard all the time. And that was one of the key moments that helped me to dissolve my fear of death. You know, just, just like you said, it's like, wow, really? We, there's, there's this possibility that maybe in another lifetime, I was my mom's mom and she was my child. Like that makes sense to me. You know, I kind of feel that in this lifetime or, you know, maybe my mom and I were married at one point we were husband and wife, you know, my understanding is, is that we can take on different roles. So, Mm -hmm. you know, your children could have been, you ever have, um, you know, I'm sure you have some moms or experiences where, you know, you might have a child that's an old soul and it'd be like, gosh, you know, it might've been my my dad and my mom. (laughs) My sister is, we always say, I call her Benjamin Button because we always say she was born old. She's like, she was reading a news, well, pretending to read a newspaper at four years old with these little glasses. Oh I mean, but it's like her, her mannerisms. She's like a little old lady. Yeah, <laughs> and my grandmother exactly. would always say she's been here before, meaning like she's an old soul. Like she's been to this earth before. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think if you begin to research and explore, you know, I I think everyone's spiritual path is different and, you know, I can only really speak about mine, but the more that I really studied and turned towards death instead of like, oh, it's not something that I want to talk about. I didn't want to feel comfortable bringing it up. You know, now I'm the person that my friends and my clients, like everybody wants to talk to me about death because they know mm-hmm. that I'm not afraid to talk about it. But the more I investigated and learned more about consciousness and um, really expanding my mind to see my world less as three-dimensional and that I was so much more than the physical body and then having a lot of different experiences in my energy healing sessions with clients and you know the interviews that I have done with people. I was like, wow, okay, this consciousness thing and this energy thing is really real. So if that's really real, then you know what does that mean when I leave the physical body? So I would say that you're right. I mean, the soul contract idea in some ways kind of can be like, 
we don't have to get so angry all the time or so upset. Or if you really turn it inwards and take responsibility and say, okay, what is my lesson here? Like a course in miracles. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that spiritual text, a course in miracles. Mm -hmm. Um, they also say that every person that you meet is a holy encounter that, you know, it's like the Holy spirit, and the Holy spirit, like we're meeting each other and that every person that comes into your life that you should treat like a holy encounter because it's an assignment from the Holy spirit. Really? So if you were to, yeah. So if you uh, even with people person, who are jerks and assholes, <laughs> like that's a really yes. hard a concept to accept when you dealing, we're dealing with people who are not good people and they're not good souls but maybe they are, and maybe they're the most beautiful souls and they are the ones who took on the darkness for you to grow. You know, again, if, if you take this soul contract theory and really begin to apply it to what is the lesson here for me, as much as we want to judge, right. And say, well, that soul shouldn't go anywhere to the light because they're assholes or they're really tough or they're so mean. It seems like that they have no heart whatsoever. And I know you wrote a book, Married to a Narcissist, Yes, right? and that's what I'm so, referring to, what that referring to. I, I know. <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> yes. So, so maybe this conversation is going to help to say, yeah. wow, did my husband really take on this darkness so that I could, you know, maybe you volunteered to learn how to step into your power, mm. you know? And he says, okay, well then I will volunteer to be the toughest narcissist in your life. Oh my God. And I will make it so hard for you to leave, but I I will give you a lesson that will make you one of the strongest women, you know, or or the strongest soul that you're never going to have to come back and learn this lesson again, because you and I are going to get it right in this lifetime. Wow. And it's going to, it's going to be messy and it's going to be tough. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I still haven't learn the lesson because he he's still existing and he's still he's still in there you know he's still in there just um enjoying the chaos or creating chaos so maybe i maybe i haven't maybe i haven't done that good of a job of of learning the lesson yet you know and it's interesting i mean we're kind of getting a little bit off and and i digress and i apologize well no i'm not apologizing i'm just i'm saying i'm i'm recognizing that i'm digressing i'm getting better about apologizing for everything but (laughs) um but i um it's a it's an interesting um, environment to be in because I really in the last few months have been really working hard to try to figure out the energy that I'm putting out, why I'm attracting the energy, the negative energy that I am. And I don't know what it is. And one of the guests I had on previously, Kim Kennedy, she's a, a radical forgiveness coach. And she talked about fear of forgiving family members. But in that conversation, we talked a little bit about the she doesn't ever feel like bad things happen to her because it's all a part of the lessons that she needs to learn. And it's all a part of the energy that she's putting out. So I'm like, Kim, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm trying to discover this. And I'm very open to trying to get a better understanding and comprehend what I am doing. That's attracting the negative energy. And um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what it is I'm doing. Maybe that's another session with you. <laughs> Maybe that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't I've been... think you're doing anything wrong, though. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think it just may be changing the lens of the perception huh. of the way that you look at this relationship, right? Sure. And if it is for your own growth, you know, like they usually say, your job isn't to manage your emotions. Your job is to manage your reaction to your emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I really like that. And because really emotions and thoughts are all neutral and they, they, they don't stay neutral because we begin to bring meaning to them. You know, we bring meaning to those emotions or we give it a meaning or we give it some sort of level of importance. But, you know, I heard somebody say you could replace the words of the happy birthday song with I'm a loser and just sing it like that. <laughs> oh, right. <my> and, gosh. <laughs> and again, you know, same thing with the date of my mom's death, right? October 19th meant nothing. And now all of a sudden it's like October 19th is still a neutral date. Your birthday is still a neutral date but it's the emotion and the meaning that I put to it that will change that whole day for us. Right. Sure. Um, 
And, and same thing with the really tough people that we deal with. It's kind of like, if we're learning to manage our reaction to the emotion and even the reaction to the fear of death, right? So like the fear of death might be like, oh my God, I have this fear. I have this great fear. And if you feed the fear, it's going to get tighter and, you know, kind of make you feel like you're in this box. But if you begin to ask yourself those questions, well, why am I afraid of death? Like some of the questions that you were asking me, what is it about it? And that you begin to have more control over your reaction to the fear Mm -hmm. reaction to the emotion. Then that puts you a little bit more in the seat where you have a little more ability to be with it and to interact with it, I guess we could say. Yeah. So So, I think sometimes the law of attraction, I don't know if that's kind of what you're referring to, but like, I hear some of the verbiage of like, am I attracting this negative energy? What am I doing wrong? And, and I think the law of attraction is kind of dangerous with that and kind of becomes its own belief system and dogma of like, well, if you're not thinking the right things, then the bad things will come to you. And, you know, I think that there's some relevance to the law of attraction, but I also think that I I kind of like the soul contract topic a little bit better because then you're really able to see it as you're not doing anything wrong, but your two souls intermingling, you know, in this lifetime. And it's been a tough one with each other, but what is the lesson at the end? How has it made you grow? Because I'm sure you've interviewed people and most people will say, even though I had a really shitty life, I wouldn't change a thing about it because it's maybe who I am, right? (laughs) Everybody says that, you know, same thing. So there Mm -hmm. has to be something, you know, that you're yes. going through that's cultivating something in your evolution of your consciousness that this really tough person is challenging you with, yeah. you know? Yeah. And maybe he's um, helping you to release the fear of speaking up. I mean, you wrote a book mm. about it, right? Yeah. So, so to me, it's kind of like, well, that's a great, you learn something yeah. there. There's no fear of speaking about it. There's no fear of communicating about it. There's a lot of vulnerability of right. putting yourself out there. Um, so I see a lot of fears just in that yeah. being broken in this soul lesson. Wow. I mean, that is so incredibly enlightening. And I think that maybe that's it because when I was younger, I was so shy. I wouldn't talk at all. (laughs) And I never spoke up, not until I got to college, because I was afraid of, I don't know, all the things, not just speaking out, but being embarrassed by people thinking that I don't know what I'm talking about, or not being believed or not being listened to and feeling like my opinion didn't matter. I mean, that's kind of how we grew up. We were, we were to be seen and not heard. So (laughs) that idea and uh, I, I think it affected me in, in all the areas, psychologically, emotionally. And I just, I would just shut down. So maybe that's it. That is so crazy. It could be. And that's, like, look at you now, right? With, I mean, you're an inventor. You've been on, you were an anchor. You were on news televisions. I mean, you have been so put out there. You're an author. You wrote a book. I mean, all the stuff that you do, it's like, to me, that shows me that you really evolved. You evolved your consciousness because you broke through so many fears, so many fears that so many of us have, you know, the fear of being seen and actually stepping out on stage, right? The fear of public speaking is probably one of the, you know, the the top fears. And I talked to a woman about that and she said, you want to know why that is? Because we're afraid of being seen. Mm. You know, so when you actually have to speak publicly, people are paying attention to you. They're looking at you. They're seeing you, you know? Right. So I think you've done a lot of evolution in your soul. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you. I never really even think about it. Uh, You know, I I never really take the time to sit down and just think and think about it. I just keep going day to day, but Mm -hmm. okay. So back to the topic, because we, I could, we could go (laughs) on. I don't want to make this about me, but (laughs) so before, um, before your mom died and before you did the work, um, and, and just learning more about death and, and the afterlife, what do you, were you ever afraid of your own death or afraid of others, um, you know, that were close to you dying before this happened? Um, I would say, was I ever afraid of my own death? I kind of feel like I have a sense when I know it may happen, um, because I've meditated on it. Yeah. Um, 
And I think the fear of my death at first in the very beginning was more of like, will my death be painful? I think Uh, a lot of people fear of like, will it take a long time? Am I going to be in pain? Um, So I would say more recently, um, being a, I, you know, I've fallen in love again, you know, I've been married before and now I'm engaged now. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) A whole talk on relationships with me. Um, but I would say this is probably the first time that I've experienced real love. And I would say Mm. the fear of death came back more recently, but more around, I just want so much time with this person. So it's like, gosh, you know, it's, you know, that you truly don't know how long you have. I think I have an idea, you know, I've had my birth chart read. I've had my palms read. Yeah. Um, I've heard consistent stuff. I have a good sense that I've got, have good genes that I'll probably make it and have, you know, a, a pretty good life, um, you know, life. And I still feel like I have years left, but you know, you just don't know. And when you really, um, I don't know, just find a really healthy love, And, you know, I'm kind of, you know, midway in my life, you know, I'm 44 now. It's kind of like, gosh, I wish I kind of met you when I was sooner because you just kind of know, you know, mobility and the body and the physical body. Like, you know, I might only have like a good 30 or 25 years to like be with this person. So I think the fear of death is a little more layered and complicated because it's more of the fear of losing time, you know, with this person. So Mm. it's like, I want as much time as I have, but I would say, you know, like you, I've been a pretty ambitious woman and I feel like I've done a lot in my life and I have a lot of peace with, wasn't even trying to build a legacy or anything like that, but I was like, wow, you know, I have three documentaries out there, really successful podcast. You know, I'm just doing so much. I've helped so many people in the mental health profession, the healing profession that I can really rest easy when I die to know that I came here, I was of service. Um, I did a lot of good for a lot of people and, you know, my relationships are really cleaned up. So It's kind of, I'm in a really good place. I don't want to die anytime soon. Um, But I think the fear is more fear of time. You know, maybe that's, that's it. You know, here we are talking about fear of death, but maybe I have more of a fear of time. Yeah. How much time, you know, not so much scared of death anymore, but it's definitely fear of how much time do I have left? Yeah. It's interesting you say that because another episode, what it was, it was one in the first season um, we talked to, um, uh, Ellen Torson, she's a life coach here in Austin. And the, the topic was the three most common adult fears. And one of the three was time. She said, that's go. one of the things most of her clients talk to her about. And I was like, what do you mean? Are they afraid of time? She's like, not really afraid of time, but afraid of not having enough time. And I went, oh, of course. Of course, I feel like that's our every day. <laughs> it's running out of time with whatever. Our children, our relationships or you know, our jobs, not getting enough time to, to do all the things we want to do and need to do. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when you're a person that has a lot of ideas and that yes. you want to bring to fruition, mm. you know, it's like, yes. oh, I got to do this. I got to do that, you know, but it's kind of more for the core purpose. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. In your practice and just in, in the way that you have helped clients, are there, how often does a topic of death and the fear of death come up? And, and then I'll ask you a a secondary question to that, but I wonder just how often and and how prevalent is it in, in, in people's everyday lives? Just that thought. Yeah. Uh, You know, that's a really good question. I would say it comes up more often than you probably would imagine, because really when you begin to trace people's fears and anxieties, we usually wind up at the fear of death. Mm. And the pandemic was a great example. Yeah. You know, my clients, um, I think everyone, I think the pandemic was, you know, a beautiful teacher as well. And I think it really shook up people's mortality. And, you know, I had a lot of clients um, who had parents that, you know, died when they were younger. And then all of a sudden, you know, the COVID virus comes and they have children. And now it's like, oh my God, their trauma of the death of their parent is now 
coming up when they weren't even, you know, thinking of it, you know, the grieving had been done per se, you know, it could be like 10, 12 years. And then all of a sudden the pandemic comes and I had so many moms coming to me saying, I'm afraid I'm going to get sick or my child's going to die. What if my child gets it? Like the fear of death, I think has been rampant, you know, this past year and a half and really made people take a look at their lives. Mm -hmm. Am I safe? What if I catch this? Will I die? There's been a lot of fear, you know, just in, in media and stuff like that. So I would say that, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people that I've worked with that have had challenges with the anxious mind, you know, the monkey mind and anxiety, I can usually trace their fear eventually back to dying. Wow. Being scared. Like, you know, I had one girl that was afraid to go out and um, eat at restaurants because she once had a, a reaction to like shellfish, you know, like an anaphylactic, you know, reaction and she survived it both times, you know, but she thought that she was just afraid of experiencing that again. But again, when we actually went into it, she had it when she was 12 years old, she experienced uh, a very traumatic moment where she thought she was going to die when she was 12, you know? So like we had to go back and heal the 12 year old. Um, But ultimately, you know, it's not that she has a fear of eating out in public. She has a fear of dying because what if there's something in the food that isn't cooked correctly? And then she has that reaction. And then it went on to, well, what if I forget my EpiPen or what if somebody doesn't get to me in time? Or what if the emergency room is too far away from the restaurant? You know, all these fears begin to culminate, but really the core of it you know, was death, Um, even PTSD or trauma survivors, you know, of sexual assault. I mean, most people, you know, if you have the opportunity to survive an event like that, usually the, you know, PTSD is because there is a fear that you will die in that moment. Right. You you just don't know if you're safe. So we could say we're treating rape, but really we're also at the core treating the body and the nervous system feeling like I may not survive this, you know? So like survival and death is just very, uh, I think a very core fear that sometimes isn't directly spoken like, Hey, I'm afraid of death. But then we're talking about these anxieties that mask it a lot. But right. I think most people at the core, we're, we're all a little confused why we're here. <laughs> and <kind of> like, <laughs> right. How much time do I have? How's it going right. to happen? I'm seeing other people die, but maybe it won't be me. But I think it's, it's a confusing journey for sure. Yeah, it is. Is it fair to say or true and accurate to say that most people have had a near-death experience at some point in their lives, especially, I guess, after 20, that they can remember and think back to? Well, I have interviewed a lot of people that have had near-death experiences. They're phenomenal. And that I'm glad that you brought that up because that was another thing that helped me to uh, dismantle my fear of death. You know, when you have enough people telling stories that are different, yet the theme is the same about how yes. loving it was. And, you know, they come back and they're like these light beams, right? It's like nothing bothers them. They're not scared of anything. They just want to be of service. And one lady said, you know, if you talk to people in the near-death experience, um, you know, population, they can't wait to get out of here. They want to go back. <laughs> yeah. And all of us are over here, like, hanging on, like, no, I don't want to go. And they, like, just can't wait to return home. And I've held that when, you know, that story. I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm going to hang on to that. But yeah. um, I don't I don't think every human being, um, you know, has experienced a near-death experience. I think people have... I think the majority of people have probably experienced, um, I don't know if paranormal is the right way, but Mm. maybe an experience, a spiritual experience that maybe they can't explain, but it opened their eyes or a portal to see that there's something else out there. Um, And I've met some people that had very spiritual experiences without the near death, but it felt, and the story was very similar of the same. Now I've never had a near death experience. I've had a lot of spiritual experiences that have led me to also believe some of the same themes that people speak of, of near death experiences. Yeah. So I don't think everyone has a near death and I sure as hell would love to continue to have these spiritual experiences rather than the near death, because if I can learn or 
take back what they experienced without going through something like that, you know, because yeah. the recovery sometimes isn't all that great, you know, either, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather do it an easier way. <laughs> yeah, of course. So we were recently visiting my dad and, and every time we visit him, he tells us a, a story about his child, childhood, which is so fascinating. I mean, he, he went through so much in his life and so much tragedy, but he was telling us about the uh, the uh, couple times, actually about three times that he can remember where he almost died. And one that just is two of them that have stayed with me. He was telling me that he I don't remember how old he said he was, but he was, I think, under 10 or around 10. Anyway, he had a piece of candy. It was like a, a jawbreaker or like a uh, I don't know, like a, a round piece of candy. And it got lodged in his throat and he was gasping for air and he couldn't breathe. It was blocking his airway. And so he was trying to, like, figure out what to do. He was trying to find somebody. He was on the playground at school and he, he couldn't speak. So he was trying to motion to somebody to go get an adult. But he just he couldn't. He was he was pretty much paralyzed paralyzed and he said just out of nowhere it just like popped out of his throat just like he didn't do anything it just came out and he said it just flew out of his throat and then he said another time he almost drowned and he remembered like going under and he uh he was again like dog paddling splashing around and something just told him to go just let himself go down to the bottom of the pool and then push himself back up and so he did that and he just kind of shot up you know, through the top of the water and, and basically saved himself. And then another time he had a gun pulled on him as an adult, he picked up a hitchhiker, but obviously it's nothing. He should have done that. But anyway, like each time it just made me think there was a reason he was supposed to be here. And, and every experience like that, maybe like you mentioned is a lesson in how we should go about something differently or go about our lives differently or make different decisions. When we think we're at the moment of our last breath, Yeah, that probably exactly. scares us into submission in some way or <laughs> scares us into change in some way. Do you think that that there's any truth to that? I do either scare us into change or scare us into like, you know, fuck it. Let me just do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, okay. You know, I survived that survived this. And, and sometimes I think it can deepen people's faith. And if your faith mm-hmm. gets deepened or that fear of death leaves, you know, I always, I always said too, about, you know, the network that we have, it it's kind of like a network that people don't really want you to know about, because yeah. if you lose your fear of death then you're not afraid to live. And if you're not afraid to live, you know, then you really don't buy into maybe some belief systems that are trying to press you down to not really be your fullest self. So I think if people really can lose their fear of death, they will live in a totally different way. Wow. They'll live, they'll live more. That is one of the most beautiful things that you've said. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. And like, that's the whole point of, saying fuck fear and saying fuck it to everything is to find a sense of peace to let go of the fear so that you can live that joyfully and that peacefully and that um unhinged you know in a way and uninhibited in a way wow exactly that's amazing so in the reiki work and the energy work that you've done uh and 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 the clients that you've had what has been the most when it comes to fear of death, the most challenging scenario or situation that you've been in dealing with the client when it, when it came to just the fear of death and how difficult was it for you to work with them and get them past that point? Yeah, I guess the first person that comes to mind is an older gentleman um, who I just love and adore and he's retired and he's spiritual, but he also is um, practicing of the Catholic faith. So he actually had a lot of um, conflict about whether or not he should come to me because I was a Reiki yeah. practitioner and, you know, and he experienced Reiki and he talked to his priest about it. And is this okay? You know, like all the yeah. rules that the church had, but um, he's a deep thinker and, you know, he had some medical issues going on and he would say, well, I think about death all the time, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of afraid of it. And, you know, and some of that is some of that also developed because of some of the belief systems that he's taught in his church, you know, like there's some 
possible shaming that could happen. Like mm-hmm. if you don't do this, then you're going to go to hell or you have to repent, or if you're a sinner or, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So I think some of the fear could have been more uh, religion based and rule based on the rules of the religion and stuff like that. Like maybe he wouldn't go to heaven because he's getting Reiki, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so mm. I think one of the things, and, and he would come in and we would talk about it a lot, but one of the things that I think really helped him was that I really empowered him that he was asking this really tough question and that I would say to him, okay, well, let's turn towards it. So what's the worst thing that could happen? So if you do, if you're really worried about death, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I'd really like to say this to my grandchildren or, you know, he would joke with himself because I think he was a man that had quite a bit of money and he was saving it for what? And so when he started contemplating death a little bit more, he's like, you know, I think I want to take my family on a trip. And he started to get looser with his money in retirement, even mm-hmm. though he felt like so he was good with numbers. He was an accountant, you know? Oh, God. So it's kind of like, <laughs> okay, you know, so, yeah. you know, he knows how to manage his money, but he was kind of realizing. So but that's one of the things that we explored. So if you're afraid to die, and if you were to die tomorrow, would you have any regrets today? So then we began to unravel those regrets or, you know, if, do you feel like you live to complete life? Are there, there still things that you would like to do? And really just empowering him that he's asking a really important question. I mean, I'm more concerned with people that aren't asking that question, Yeah, you know, that are either in denial or really afraid to talk about it, or I don't even want to look at that. Um, but the fact that he was digging really deep and he was turning towards that fear, I went there with him you know, and brought his faith in and, you know, opened up communication with God with him. And then also took a look at like his bucket list and what would make him feel more alive and what would make him come to more peace. If he were to die today, could he look back and say, all right, I told a good story and I did all that I needed to do. And I saw him starting to live with less fear. And he was a very, very anxious client, extremely Mm. anxious. He started taking more trips. He was spending more money. Um, He wasn't so fixated on his physical health. He was playing golf again. Um, So I saw his life begin to open and expand. Like I said, if you lose the fear of death, you begin to live life more Then you're not afraid to live. So I actually saw his life begin to increase um, just in capacity to be able to do more things with less fear in his life and being afraid yeah. to die. And, you know, and I think he's, he's very reflective, you know, he's coming to terms. I remember Oprah saying once, um, I think, I don't remember how old she was at the time, but in an interview, she said, I realized I have lived more years than I have left. Mm. Wow. You know, and, yeah. And I was like, oh yeah. You know, when you get to that point and that's where he was at, you know, he's like yeah. in his sixties and he's like, okay, I've definitely, I've lived more years than what I have left. And what do I want to do with this? Yeah. So it was, um, it was a ch- always a challenging case, you know, because the anxiety and the anxious mind and the ego kind of comes up and is like, oh, you know, and yeah. you have to learn how to quiet that. So, you know, kind of use a lot of techniques, use the energy healing, which put him in a space of comfort to connect with his creator, you know, and I think that was one of the things that healed him in a sense of the fear of death was that the religion was able to do that to a certain extent. But then when you have a very spiritual experience on an energetic level, on the being level that you can't put into words, but he feels closer to his God, um, that is liberating in itself. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that because you know, in the work that you do, it can be very controversial to somebody who, um, has a believe that they have a strong relationship with God and um, and claim to be Christians and and don't believe in the idea of um, Reiki and energy and and the existential things that that exists that are not just spiritual but also scientific. So. And I love the story of this gentleman because it's the perfect example of my question, which is how do you um, reconcile and balance and how do you um, not prove that's not the word, but just how do you reconcile and balance uh, what you've been talking about with somebody who, who either doesn't believe it or, um, or, or it just, just doesn't believe it because of their own relationship with God or their religion or their level of spirituality. It sometimes feels yeah. like they don't have a, a level of understanding, but 
anyway, without that part, just how do you balance and reconcile with somebody like that? Or more, it's also maybe not a level of understanding, but they haven't had a level of experience, Mm -hmm. you know, in that capacity. But I would say it's not my job to reconcile it. It's really theirs too. Um, You know, I do believe in, I I use the word God as my creator um, and I do have that. And I would probably, you know, the reconciliation would just be more about having this conversation. Well, what does this mean? And, and this is not for some people and, you know, people can choose who they want to see. So I would say, um, if somebody's really conflicted about it, and with this one gentleman, um, my recommendation to him was talk to your priest, mm-hmm. ask him, you know, have a conversation so that you can feel that you are doing right by your church and that you don't have this resistance within yourself of coming here and then feeling guilty for it. Cause like that undoes everything. And yeah. now we got to work on the level of guilt. Um, <laughs> oh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really see that as being my job. I am not out to convince anyone that Reiki or energy healing works. Um, there's enough people that have testimonials that I could say, you can ask a friend, you can ask another client, but even still, you know, it's, I remember one, um, one podcast guest that I had on, she said, April, I, if I were to say to you, you should, when you step off the plane and you go to Costa Rica, you should, you know, see what that, or you, you could feel what that smells like. She's like, I could tell you about the smell of Costa Rica, but until you actually get off the plane and go to Costa Rica and smell the air, you are not going to have a clue what I'm talking about. Right. You know, so sometimes even firsthand experiences or testimonials of how energy work might've helped someone really does nothing for someone that hasn't experienced it. Sure. So I like the term of being an open-minded skeptic, right? And a skeptic usually just means that you're slow to come to conclusions. Mm -hmm. So I think if you can be open to trying, if you have a good experience, you know, if if you like it, keep doing it. And if you don't, don't, but you know, I I would say maybe talking about more fears, the fear of maybe trying new things or trying something outside your comfort Mm. zone. And, and I think when I went on this, this investigation and interviewing these people and my belief systems were like blown out of the water. I didn't even realize I had strong belief systems until they were challenged. So, you know, one of my teachers would say, what is it, where does belief get you? You know, you could mm. believe in something. So what, you know, so a belief is just a belief, but an experience, like we were talking about of that knowing, you know, like you knew um, that your, your second mom, I forgot how you, it, referred to her here bonus mom <laughs> bonus mom and just knew right yeah you just you just kind of knew and when you have an experience like if anyone has ever prayed over you and you felt something you know or you have had reiki before or you saw a ufo or something like yeah you can explain the story but nobody can viscerally feel it in their own body unless right. they've had the experience themselves so I've, I don't, I don't try to convince anyone of anything and say, if you're open to it, Hey, come on in, you know, we'll try it. And if not, that's okay. There's there's somebody else out there for you. Tell me about your documentaries real quick. Sure. Um, so my company is called path 11 productions and we, like I said, Mike and I went on this journey to try to investigate death in the afterlife. So we have a documentary trilogy right now. Um, you can watch it on Gaia.com. Uh, they, they bought the rights to it about 10 years ago. So the first one is called the path afterlife and that investigates the afterlife. What happens when we die? And this is kind of, you know, our journey of does, does consciousness live on? And after we made the first Mm -hmm. documentary, we said, yes, we believe it does. So then in the second documentary beyond the physical, we started to investigate, well, what is consciousness? And that's heavily loaded on um, out-of-body experiences, astral projection. Um, We have, we talked to one of the people that was in a classified military mission of Stargate where they, our military was training psychic spies. And, you know, we were talking to somebody in the military there of psychic ability and remote viewing. So it's all in how can you use your consciousness? And then the third one is called the path evolution. And that is following a nuclear physicist who used to work for NASA and looking at his theory of he believes that we live more in like a virtual reality that we're kind of like take on these avatars and that the goal, the goal is to be love is his theory to become more love and you either evolve or de-evolve he says. Um, So that's, that's the third documentary. And then we took a little break 
And uh, then Mike said, well, we have to stay connected with our audience. So why don't you do a podcast? And I was yeah. like, I don't know how to podcast. It's like, April, you talk to people all the time. I'm like, okay, right. but this is when podcasting was new. And I was like, can I do this? So I faced that fear. And, uh, you know, I think we have like 330 episodes now it's called path 11 podcast. So I interview a lot of people there. So we took a little break. We had the podcast and then just in November of this year, probably worst time to launch something in a business when we had this crazy election going on, but, uh, we launched uh, path 11 TV, which is basically, I look at it as a library of death, grief, bereavement, mediumship, um, healing near death experiences. And we took, all this footage that we've had throughout the years and made a spirituality network, kind of like Netflix, mm-hmm. but um, I love it. I, I use it all the time for my clients. You know, it's just like this wonderful library reference. I say, Mike and I did the work for you. We we're asking the questions, we're finding the people, we're interviewing them and we're bringing you the content. Um, and we really just try to cover the things that we're intrigued about and uh, continuing to try to, can just strip away the fear of death, right? There's always a layer, you know, like the metaphor of the onion. Once you take one away, you go to the next, go to the next, go to the next. So those are all the things that I've, I've been doing and the documentaries and, and the network. That's awesome. Well, I'll have links to all of these um, in the description of this episode. And then on my website too, we'll, we'll link to, um, to those Uh, pieces of content as well. So April, as we end, I would love to know what your pieces of advice are for audience members who may be experiencing right now, the fear of death. What would you say would be the three top pieces of advice that you have? Well, I'm going to take the title of your podcast and the one advice is like, (laughs) fuck fear, uh, Nike, just do it. (laughs) And, um, you know, find, find, find who you are and, and go with that. I think we all know why we're here and the more that you can come into alignment with your purpose and why you're here and understand that. And then you start to engage in behaviors and actions that support that life will be fun. So have fun. I love <laughs> have fun that. on this journey. Yeah. Don't take it too seriously. Yeah. Fuck it and have fun. I love it. (laughs) That's a great way to end. Thank you so much for this. This has been so incredibly insightful and deep and I have learned so much and I hope um, each of you listening today have learned a lot too. Um, And I think this this episode is worth listening to a couple times because there was a lot packed in there that has just been so moving. So thank you so much, April, for your time. It's been so great. You're welcome. And can I just give a gift to your listeners too? I wanted to just give them um, a coupon code if they're interested on the spiritual network. It's Path 11 TV. And I'd like to give them the code podcast 30 that gives them 30% off of either a monthly membership or the annual membership. So if they use that, um, they'll, they'll save some money. It's path 11 tv.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yes. Thank you. I had so much fun. Oh, me too. Me too. I could talk to you for like another hour. (laughs) So maybe we'll have to schedule another episode. There are plenty more topics. I think that I would love to talk to you about. So for today, anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you for uh, just just staying with us throughout the entire episode. And be sure to check other episodes. Have a great day. And always be sure to say fuck fear with everything that you're doing. We'll see you next time. Coming up on a new episode of Fuck Fear. When you're too afraid to push back and protect your own energy and space, Your anxiety level goes up, your stress level goes up, your level of resentment goes up, and over time, that hardens you. On the next episode, we talk about fear of protecting your peace. I get real about some of the ways that I have failed to protect my own peace and why I've been afraid to do so in certain situations. Be sure to join us on a new episode of the Fuck Fear podcast where we talk about our fears and learn ways to get through them so that we can live more peacefully and more freely. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Feel free to write a review, check out other episodes, and as always, thank you for listening.